I wanted to start off by telling you about something that happened to me this summer. Uh, this summer, I got off the L train at, uh, at Myrtle Wyckoff. You guys know that super popular train station, not too far from here at all. And I began walking towards home. And, and as I was walking home uh, towards Gates Avenue, I saw someone uh, laying down on the ground. Uh, now, if you guys have been in the neighborhood any amount of time, then you know that there's often homeless and less fortunate neighbors of ours that uh, sleep under the uh, under the M train uh, there under the Myrtle Wyckoff style. But as I got closer, I noticed that this guy uh, really looked like he was in bad shape. Uh, he was passed out in the middle of the sidewalk. He wasn't like curled up in a ball, like off to the side, you know, covered up in blankets, trying to catch a nap or anything. He, he wasn't covered up. It was obvious that this guy was in desperate need of some help. Now, what was interesting to me as I was observing this guy on the ground was the countless number of people that just walked on by. Uh, you guys know if you've been to that train station, you know how busy that intersection is there. By the stop, you have two trains, the L train, the M train stop there, and you have several buses that stop uh, on that corner. So there's literally hundreds of people at any given time walking around that area. And so I saw everybody walking right past the guy in the middle of the sidewalk. I decided to approach him, and I approached the guy, and I speak to him. And I was like, hey, hey bro, yo, are, are you all right? Are you okay? I spoke up a little bit louder. He, he wasn't responding at all. There was a homeless, uh, a young homeless man just a couple feet away from us, you know, along the wall. And, and uh, he was, you know, sitting down, had a blanket covering his feet. And he says, ah, he's all right. I saw him drop. He'll be okay. And for a second, I, I joined the rest of the crowd. And, uh, and I walked on by and I proceeded to walk towards home. But I, but I couldn't help but think, what if this guy was in serious need of help? What if he was dying right in front of me? What if he was my uncle? What if he was a relative or a good friend? Would I have the same attitude? You guys know in New York City, living in New York City, this is an unheard sight, right? I mean, in Maria Hernandez Park, ambulances make daily trips to go and carry out another person that has OD'd or that's passed out from intoxication. This is a daily occurrence in Bushwick. And New Yorkers, we have a way of growing thick skin, right? And, and we have a way of going about uh, our day, even in spite of seeing crazy things like this. After all, when you're constantly surrounded by all the crazy things that we see and experience every day, you tend to grow a little numb to everything around us, right? We're continuing our series called Overcomer, and today we're talking about the comfort of apathy. I wanted to start off today's message with the definition of apathy, because maybe that's a word that you've, uh, you haven't quite heard of or you don't use quite often. I don't know. I don't use that word every day. So I wanted to start off with the definition. It's in your notes and it's on the screen. Uh, this is the definition of apathy. It's the absence or suppression of passion, emotion, or assignment. It's a lack of interest or concern for things that others find moving or exciting. In essence, apathy is neglecting sympathy and, or neglecting compassion for things that we should have sympathy and compassion for. It's seeing the guy passed out on the road and walking on by. Or it's seeing the pregnant lady on the subway car and closing your eyes and pretend like you're asleep so you don't see her, so you don't give up your seat, right? You know, there's one parable that comes to mind that really sums this up that I think about uh, in the Bible. Parables, in case you don't know, parables are just stories that share a lesson. And Jesus would often use parables in order to get a particular message or idea across. He was an amazing communicator, an amazing storyteller. 
And so the parable that we're going to read today is found in Luke 10. So if you want to pull it, pull it out in your Bibles, a Bible app, or it's in your message notes so you can follow along. Here's a great time. Take out those notes so you can read along and follow along. In Luke chapter 10, let me give you some context. Jesus was out and about and he was teaching. And as Jesus taught, he would draw large crowds. And, you know, as the, the words that he was saying were unlike anything that anyone ever heard uh, before. And, of course, uh, like everything, there's hater, there was haters, right? There's always people drinking that haterade. And uh, in the crowd, it just so happened that these haters were uh, the religious leaders and the teachers of Jesus' day. They were sipping on that haterade. And one day, one got up to challenge Jesus. And he asked Jesus this question. He said, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, listen, you, you're a smart guy. You're a big boy. You're a teacher of the law. You tell me, what do you have to do? And so the religious expert answers him, well, you got to love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, bingo, you got it. Price is right. You win. You got it. But in one more attempt to try to trip Jesus up, he tells Jesus, but then who's my neighbor? And this is where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 30. So let's read this kind of verse by verse, these next couple of verses. You have it there in your notes, and it's on the screen, so you can follow along. This is verse 30. Look at what it says. Jesus took up the question. What's the question? Who's my neighbor, right? Jesus took up the question, and he said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. So this guy is on a journey and he's heading from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jesus says in this story. And on the way, he experiences a mugging. In New York City, we call that Tuesday, right? A band of robbers team up and they take advantage of this defenseless guy. They take advantage of him and not only rob him blind, but they beat him senseless. And they leave him half dead to the point where he's presumably, probably unconscious or near death. Verse 31, look at what it says. A priest happened to be going down the road. Would you guys put a little star next to priest? It says priest. Put a little star there. It's one of our characters in the parable. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, what did he do? He passed by on the other side. And so Jesus goes on to tell us that a priest is heading down the same road, and he comes across this lifeless body, the lifeless body of the victim, and for the audience, especially the devout Jew Jesus was talking to, when they, they would have thought to themselves when they heard a priest came, they would have said, great, good news, right? Like a righteous, real pious person is passing by. He's sure to come and save the day. He's going to do something, right? Because the priest was kind of like a pastor figure. And of course, the priest is going to do the right thing. But instead, the priest sees the man in need and he does what so many of us do. He makes sure to stay clear of the path and he walks right on by. Verse 32 says, in the same way a Levite, go ahead and put a star next to Levite. In the same way a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, what did he do? Say it out loud. He passed by on the other side. A Levite was another religious leader, which essentially uh, what they would do, they would serve as assistants to the priest and they would lead worship in the synagogue. Think of the Levite as a worship pastor, a worship leader. And he would have been very much looked at or looked up to as a spiritual leader. But what was his attitude? Well, he's as apathetic as the priest before him. And Jesus says that he also passed on to the other side, and this would have rocked Jesus' audience to the, to the core. After all, both the priest and the Levite would have been respected and revered members of the clergy. Surely they would have done the right thing, but instead, they were apathetic. 
just as weak so easily can become. Why do you think that is, guys? Why are we so apathetic at times? Why don't we care like Jesus calls us to care? There's probably a dozen reasons or more as to why we grow apathetic. I'm going to give you three. Here's the first one. You can write it down and that fill in the blank. The first one in your notes. One of the reasons why we're apathetic is because the volume of information is overwhelming. The volume of information is overwhelming. Consider the amount of information we have being poured out into us on a daily basis. Unlike any other time in history, right? Once upon a time to hear what was going on around the world, you had to go and pick up a newspaper. So you didn't find out about what happened yesterday until tomorrow, right? Like you, until you got the paper. You didn't know what was going on. But then information got a little bit more accessible with the amazing invention of the television and the radio. And now you can hear and watch what was going on around the world through these uh, means of technology. But beyond that, you were also able to hear about, you know, the lack of clean drinking water in some countries. You heard about famine and drought in other countries. And then you saw the commercial of the cute and big-eyed puppies and kittens that all need rescuing and adopting, right, through radio and through TV. Now, of course, in our day and age, now we have 24-7, 365 access to information in our pockets, at our fingertips, at any given point. And, and at any given time, you can open up Twitter, Facebook, or any social media or news website, and you can see what's going on around the world. It's an overload of information. The volume of information is overwhelming. What do we do with this, all this information? Why else are we apathetic? Number two in your notes is because we feel helpless to make a change. We feel helpless to make a change. And I think uh, this is a feeling we all sense, isn't it? I mean, this week alone, we heard about two to three major earthquakes and countless aftershocks shaking up the island of Puerto Rico. We're getting videos of koalas on fire in Australia. All right? It seems like the entire continent is in flames. Uh, last week, or uh, two or so, when we were greeted in 2020, you know what was trending on social media? Hashtag World War III was trending in the U.S. across all social media platforms. Uh, not to mention that I keep getting emails from the Bronx Zoo about opportunities for me to save the gorillas in the Congo, right? And so we can feel helpless with such major problems such as this. What can I do about the gorillas in the Congo, right? The scope of it is way beyond me. So it can be easy just to scroll past the hashtag, delete the email, and ignore the hurt because after all, it's bigger than me, all right? And I'm helpless to do anything about it. A third reason that we grow apathetic is because we are blessed and cursed with comfort. We are blessed and cursed with comfort. And I don't think this one needs much explanation, but it's so true because when you're comfortable, it's difficult to work up any sort of energy or effort to do anything about anything, right? Because you're comfortable. We live in a day and age where you can order a pizza from your phone, and I don't mean calling it in, right? You have an app. You can, you can order. You don't have to talk to anyone. You can just order it, pay for it, and have it basically delivered to your lap, right? This is the day and age that we live in. You can shop for whatever you want online or on Amazon, and you can have it delivered literally the next day. And God forbid it doesn't come by day two because they're going to feel your wrath, right? If it doesn't come, you have to wait a second day. You can watch... Whatever TV show or movie that you want, instantly, without commercials, right? We recently went on vacation, and we stood in a house that had cable. We haven't had cable in years. And it's so funny because I became annoyed and angry at the TV because, you know, an hour and a half long movie became four hours with all the commercials. Why would I want cable? 
when I can instantly stream whatever I want on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, or whatever, but God forbid the stream buffers, because then they're going to feel my wrath, right? We are blessed and cursed with comfort. We are blessed and cursed with comfort, and this can feed our apathetic attitudes, because after all, we have everything we need, so we can just sit back, chill, and cruise. Back to Jesus' story, uh, what's interesting is that the two religious guys, the ones that you put stars next to, they just walked on by. But there was one person who couldn't simply walk on by and do nothing about it. Let's pick up the story in verse 33. But a Samaritan, you can box a Samaritan there, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw him, the man that was on the ground, half dead, what did he have? He had, say that word right there, he had compassion. Go ahead and underline that word in your notes. He had compassion. What did this compassion lead him to do? Verse 34, he went over to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. You see, guys, one guy couldn't simply walk on by. One guy said he had to do something about this situation. In fact, the Samaritan goes out of his way to stoop down and to bandage his wounds. He picks the man up and he places him on his mode of transportation and then takes him out of his way to an inn so that they can care for the poor guy. Why was the attitude of this man, this Samaritan man, so different than the other two? You see, it's interesting that Jesus includes this character in the story because of the, uh, to the Jews, if the priest and the Levite were spiritual role models to esteem and to look up to, then the Samaritan man was the opposite. The Samaritans were basically half-breed, only half-Jew mixed with other people groups. And to the Jewish people, they were basically their enemies. They would avoid them at all costs. They would avoid them and their clashing ideologies and avoid their clashing theology. But in Jesus' story, the Samaritan man is a hero. Isn't that interesting? Why was the attitude of this man so different than the other two. When brought before the same situation, instead of responding with apathy, the Bible says he responded with compassion. How did this man overcome apathy and how can we become overcomers of apathy as well? This is what we're going to do for the rest of our time. We're going to attempt to answer this question. How do we overcome apathy? Here's the first thing. You can pray for compassion. You can pray for compassion. The first thing we can do is be intentional about asking God to make us more compassionate. Because I believe that the desire of everyone in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, then your desire is to have your life every day look more and more like Christ, right? And Jesus was compassionate. He had compassion on the lost. He had compassion on the lonely. He had compassion on the brokenhearted and, and the hurt and the sick and the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized. Jesus' heart broke for the broken. And he had compassion. And one of my favorite verses that demonstrates this is found in Matthew 9. I'm going to read this real quick. In fact, read this verse out loud with me. Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 36. See if you can, see if you can sense you know, the, the urgency and the burden of Jesus here. You ready? Go. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. 
Because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Would you guys go ahead and underline where it says he felt compassion for them. You see, the Greek word that's translated compassion, I'm not even going to pretend to pronounce it because I can't. But essentially it, what it means, what it describes is a deep down pain and agony in the pit of Jesus' stomach. It was a, a gut-wrenching pain for the condition of the people that he was ministering to. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of you, of the people that you encounter? Can that be said of us as a church about our neighbors and our friends and our family and our co-workers? Can that be said of us? Can that be said of us about one another? Some of you need more compassion. And you need to ask God to fill you with compassion. Because it's so easy to grow numb to the brokenness around us. And it's so, easily, it's so easy to elevate our emotions and our feelings above how everyone else feels because we're always looking out for number one. But the Bible says that we do not have because we do not ask. And here's one thing. And if you want to pray a prayer that God will always answer, you can ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit to make you more compassionate. He'll always say yes to making you more like Jesus. Here's the second thing, and this is important. You can't do everything, but you can do something. How do we overcome apathy? You can't do everything, but you can do something. And it's so easy to be overwhelmed by all the needs around us, in our community, in our neighborhood, right here in Bushwick, let alone in our world. And that feeling of being overwhelmed can keep us from doing anything at all. But allow this to bring comfort to you. You don't have to do everything. But you can do something. Listen, you don't have to rebuild homes in Puerto Rico and save the whales and, you know, construct a water well in Africa and plant the church in the Middle East. You don't have to do all of that. You don't have to do everything. Maybe God is calling you to do one of those things, but you don't need to and can't do everything. You can't do everything, but you can do something. Could it be that as you pray for God to give you compassion, that he would respond to your prayer and break your heart for one or two things specifically? Could it be that he would reveal to you his desire for you to serve with a local nonprofit maybe or, or to mentor and disciple young moms or, or to help feed the homeless and, and the hungry at the park? I don't know. That thing that really bothers you, that thing that you have this real sort of righteous anger about, could it be that God has helped wire you to do something about it? Listen, you can't do it all, but you can do something. And here's the last point, number three. We'll wrap it up with this point. Number three is that you can't have, I'm sorry, you have everything you need to do what God has called you to do right now. You have everything you need to do whatever God has called you to do right now. And here's the last thing that I know, and I say this because I've experienced this in my own life. God is not going to call you to do something that he hasn't already given you what you need to accomplish. This God isn't crazy. He's not going to send you without equipping you. And I've experienced this, and you guys, whether you know it or not, you're living in the middle of it. God called me to start a life-giving gospel-centered church in my community, and I said, all right, God, if this is what you're calling me to do, this is what you want me to do, then you got to make it happen, and you got to open every door. And sure enough, little by little, with, with many obstacles along the way, God gave me everything I needed to do what he called me to do, and he continues to do so, by the way. And oftentimes we put a lack of resources and excuse to do whatever God has called us to do. But he has given us everything we need in order to do what he's called us to do right now. And with whatever is in our hands, with the little bit that's in our hands, and with a lot of faith, we can overcome apathy. 
And we can accomplish God's grand purposes and plans. Now, sorry, I just want to shift for a second. I want to wrap up uh, our time by focusing on one question, okay? Uh, for the most part, we've been talking about apathy in your life. And then what, what does it look like to get overcome apathy in your life? But Swerve, what about us as a church? What is God calling us to do as a church family? How can we overcome apathy as a church and accomplish God's purposes as a family? And here's what I want you to do. This is kind of an open-ended question. You have some homework. Two weeks ago, uh, we had Vision Sunday. And if you missed it, then I'm going to encourage you to go on Swerve's YouTube channel. uh, You know, Google Swerve Church. Go to the YouTube channel and catch the message. Or if you were here, revisit the message notes uh, or rewatch it. Because I believe that these are the four areas that God is calling us to grow in 2020. To grow in evangelism, uh, to grow in love, to grow in commitment, and to grow in faith. To grow in love, evangelism, commitment, and faith. I I believe that these are the four things that God is calling us to do. And I want to invite you guys into God's heart for you and for us as a church family this year. And I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to overcome apathy. Ask God for compassion. That he would break your heart for the things that breaks his. Realize that we can't do absolutely everything. But we can do something. And whatever God is calling us to, we already have everything that we need to do, whatever he's called us to do right now. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up um, now. And and as we partake in communion, I want you guys to take time to reflect on this. It was Jesus' compassion that led him to the cross. And as we drink the juice, I want you to recall that it was his blood that was poured out for you to atone for your sins. And as you eat the bread, remember that it was His body that was broken for you, nailed to the cross for you, beaten and bruised for you, also that you could receive His compassion so you can experience forgiveness of sin. And as you return to your seats, I'm going to invite you to reflect, to pray and to sing and to recall that third day that Jesus conquered the grave victoriously so that you can live your life victoriously, so that you can have a renewed purpose and a new life. I'm going to invite you guys to, uh, to use this as an opportunity to ask God for compassion. Let's all pray for compassion. And let's ask God to break our hearts for what breaks is and to show us, God, what do you want us to focus on in 2020? And as a church, can we focus on these four things? God, and break our hearts and help us. We want to see growth in these four things, God, as a church. And after uh, we pray together, then I'll invite you at your leisure. Go ahead. You can head to the back and you can partake in communion and come back to your seats and reflect and pray a little bit more and sing along as the worship team leads us in this last song. God, I pray, uh, first of all, for forgiveness, God. For those moments and those opportunities in our lives that you gave us a chance to do something and we didn't and we responded not with compassion we responded with apathy and God I know that around this room that that is the case for many of us individually and I know that even as a church God we can grow apathetic to the things around us God and I pray and I ask for forgiveness God I pray that you would make us more like Jesus, 
and that you would fill us with compassion. Compassion for the lost, compassion for the broken, compassion for the least of these. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that it would compel us to action, to do what you've called us to do. Lord, to depend on you and to realize that we have everything that we need to do whatever you've called us to do. And we'll never use that as an excuse, God, to not do what you've called us to. Help us listen to your voice and to know when it's you and to obediently follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.